gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great salvation. We thank you that you have not left us just blind or aimlessly wander about in our growing in the knowledge of you. But you've given us all things we need for our good and for our edification and for our building up and for our safety. Lord, now we ask that you be with the preacher as he expounds upon these verses to us, Lord. Help we them that it become clear to us all, Lord, and that it help build us up according to your power, Lord. Lord, just pray that you be glorified through it all and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good to, good to have us all gathered together, as we say, by the providence of God and His good pleasure. Amen. And boy, the focal point, again, is just an amazing thing in our text as we have our Bibles open together this morning. Amen. The, the Word of God. And uh, it is a most stunning thing when you consider the number of times that the Word of God, of course, is the focal point of Paul's preaching, uh, the Apostles' preaching, well, every good, solid, sound preacher, the Word of God is always his focal point, amen, and so we see that again. In fact, in the oldest of the 66 books that God has bound together for us in his holy, sacred canon, from Genesis to Revelation, brethren, we find Job making a most glorious proclamation for all of us this morning to meditate upon and to digest. Now, I'm not, that's not in pun. This is something that one must consider, one that must ponder. We must ponder as Job said these words. Listen to, to Job, again, the oldest book we have in the Bible. He says, My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the very words more necessary than my food, brethren. Amen. The words of God. Again, the oldest book that we have in the 66 canons, the word of God, again, is that which Job most desired. Psalms 119. You're very familiar with Psalms 119. It is indeed the longest chapter that we have in the Bible. And if it was Wednesday evening or Sunday morning, uh, Bible study, I would ask somebody, what is the main focus of every verse but three in the longest chapter we have in the Bible? That's right, it is the Word of God. There's 176 verses in the longest chapter we have in the Bible, and only three do not explicitly speak of the Word of God. Again, the central 
if you will, the central uh, religious affections that are centered on the Word of God. Let me just show you here how the psalmist, and again, we're not sure who wrote it, uh, this particular psalm, but some think David, and I believe that could be, but it doesn't say specifically, so Mike's not going to say specifically. But listen to the value that the psalmist, as he's led by God, places on the Word of God, and not only, if you will, the eternal value, but the practical value to you and I as we walk together. Listen to just a couple of, of verses. In verse 72, the psalmist wrote this, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Amen. And again, last week, remember, Paul was accounting his life. He was like an accountant. He was weighing out the eternal versus the, those things that are temporal. This, this is what the psalmist is saying. God's word has more value than any gold, any silver, anything that you and I could ever in this earth get our hands on. Psalms, 10, or Psalms 119, 103, verse 103 says, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey unto my mouth. Again, showing the great value of the word of God practically speaking. Verse 140 of that same chapter says this, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Amen? It's a good thing, brethren, for the man or the woman or the child of God who has the Spirit of God living in them to love the word of God. 162, the verse 162, it says, I rejoice at that word, at thy word, as one that findeth great spoil. Again, over and over and over again, and as Howard knows, and he, he quotes sometimes right at the end, verse 176, what is, what is the psalmist's great concern? Lord, keep your word ever before me so that I, do, that I don't what? That I don't turn away, that I don't slip and slide, that I don't fall. That is the conclusion of the whole chapter of Psalms 119. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Many words and little sense. This is too often the rule of men's speech. Few words and much meaning. This is the rule of God. Listen to this. We give gold beaten out of into uh, leaf. Uh, God giveth ignorance of gold, ingots of gold when he speaketh. We use but the filings of gems. God droppeth pearls from his lips each time he speaketh to us. Now, brethren, what do we always say? The lips of God are what? What are the two lips of God? The Old Testament and the New Testament. This is precisely what the psalmist is saying. This is precisely what Charles Spurgeon is saying. And he finishes that quote. He says, how divine are God's words. How like himself. How exceeding broad. How infinite. And really, brethren, if you look in our text this morning, look at verse number 32. Again, this is the whole focal point. This is what Paul is in the end. And we, Lord willing, if we get there, amen, that God, that, that Paul commends the elders too. Listen to what he says there in verse number 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Again, brethren, there is a safekeeping there in the word of God. And Paul knows, amen, as we're going to see in our text, he knows what's coming. He knows the battles that they are going to be fighting. And he continually commends them to God and to the word of his grace. So the Apostle Paul, as we bring ourselves back here to our text, is saying his final goodbyes to the elders at Ephesus. We saw last week he had spent three very, how should we say, arduous, long and hard, but very joyous years with the, with the elders there. At Ephesus, And he's called the male leaders, and you have to say that, amen, he's called the, can I say it again, male, underline that word, amen, just underline that word, put that right in your mind, the male leaders, the male elders of the church, he's called them together, you remember, he called them to Miletus as the ship is being loaded, and he's saying his final goodbyes and the instruction to the elders there as he's in Miletus, and we notice verse 25, look what Paul says to them as he is He's instructing them, and he's giving them their final instructions. Verse number 25, And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone, preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Now, it's interesting, brother, last night we were reading the text, with our, sitting down with our children, reading the text. And I don't do this very often, but think of this for a moment. If you were sitting with someone whom you've loved dearly, whom you've spent years with, amen, and you knew for a fact that this is going to be the last time that you will ever see their face, at least on the earth, which is what Paul is saying. In glory, now they've been together. But for the last time, think of that for a moment. What emotions would you bring? What emotions would be brought into that if someone said to you, 
Well, uh, you'll see me tonight, but tomorrow you won't see me anymore. In fact, the rest of the time that we're on the earth. Think of the emotions that that wells up. Well, that's exactly what it did. Remember, we looked at all the tears that were shed in Ephesus. Now, look there, if you would, uh, at verses 37 and 38. Look there what he says. This is, what again, what they were doing. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, souring most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him onto the ship. And so again, we see this, Paul, as he's giving his final instructions, he's telling them, this is it, brethren. There's no more to say. I've given you everything that God has given me to give you, his word, amen. What more can I add? What more can I say to you? And they were deeply saddened by all of that. Again, This adds considerable weight, if you will, and solemnity to the words that are about to follow when Paul, of course, reveals that to them. Look there, if you would, at verses 26 and 27. He says, Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. What an amazing thing that Paul could say there. Look at verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul, again, as I said, tells the elders here, brethren, I've told you everything the Lord has given me. I've read his word. I've taught his word. There's nothing more for me to say. And he begins verse 26 with the word, wherefore. There is much, brethren, wrapped up in that simple word. I wish we had time. We've gone over it. We've seen it. Because what Paul is doing is that he's what? He's connecting what he said before to what he's going to say as he continues with the words that are going to bring much sorrow to the brethren there at Ephesus. It's an amazing thing because it is indeed, if you look at verse 28, he uses that statement again. Uh, He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves, which we're going to look at. Look at verse 31 again. Therefore watch and remember. So Paul is saying, because of this, because I love you, watch this, do this. Elders are to behave in such a way. And we're going to look at that. It is a stunning thing. He continues, brethren, his glorious teaching on how a leader in the church, those things that God calls under-shepherds, elders, overseers, presbyters, how they are indeed to live out their lives in front of the church and for the church. Paul says, therefore watch, therefore do this because I love you. And we've looked at Paul's great love that he had for the brethren. He then, as if he were standing up in a court of law, declares, I take record this day. He's calling, if you will, he's calling everyone to consider. He's taking record, he says, that... He says, I've been faithful, a faithful watchman on the wall. Again, this really is an Old Testament mindset, is really referring back to Ezekiel as a watchman on the wall. He's to blow the trumpet. He's to sound the alarm, and the people of God are to react. And if he doesn't, what does the Bible say concerning the prophet of God? Then the blood is on his hands. Amen. Paul is saying, I'm completely clear. I am guiltless. I have no guilty conscience. I am clear as can be because I've been faithful watchmen. I've been preaching the whole counsel of God. That word pure is really important to us. It is indeed an inward cleanness to be guiltless. In other words, Paul is saying, my conscience is completely clear. I have been faithful to the word of God. I've been faithful to you in teaching and living that which I have been preaching. And again, brethren, that is most important for an elder. In fact, he used this, really, this word already in the book of Acts. And I want us to see this together again. This idea of being pure, of being a conscience that's clear. Look at Acts chapter 18. Again, what is he doing? He's preaching the word of God. And look what he says to them as he leaves and shakes the dust off his feet. Look at chapter 18. Look at verse number 5. Look what Paul says there. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in his spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. I am pure. I've been faithful to preaching God's word, the Lord Jesus Christ, to you. I am indeed guiltless concerning this matter. What, what an amazing thing that would be, brother, for a man to be able to stand up and say, you know, we always hear people say, you know, when I stand before the Lord, I want to hear these words, well done, thou good and 
faithful servant. Amen. Now for an elder, for a pastor, for someone who has been preaching, uh, teaching the word of God, preaching, teaching the word of God. What an amazing thing that one man could stand up and say that by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, I am indeed clean. I'm pure from the blood of all men. I have been faithfully preaching and teaching the word of God. What in a glorious thing for a preacher to be able to say. In fact, look at 1 Timothy. This word is used. Uh, we have some deacons sitting with us here this morning. This same word is used concerning deacons in the church. Not only elders, but deacons. Those two offices, amen, that God has indeed designed to lead the church. Look here, if you would, at 1 Timothy. I want you to see this as we consider this word pure, this word clean. Look at verse 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse number 8. Again, he's addressing the elders first. Now he turns, if you will, his, his uh, spirit-led affections to those who would then be deacons in the church. Look what he says. Likewise. See, the deacons, we don't want to run too far away from this, brother. Again, these qualifications for an elder, for a deacon, are just incredible. They're an incredible thing that the Spirit of God gives to a man. A calling that he gives to them. Hey, amen. I mean, that's what it becomes. Look there, if you would, at verse, Likewise must deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in what? In a pure conscience. This is exactly what Paul is saying. So even the deacons within the church, and brethren, this should be every Christian. You know, it's not like you've got, you know, the elders. Yes, God calls the elders. He puts the deacons in place. But every Christian should hold this view concerning the word of God. Do you know if every Christian would hold this view? If they would say, I've got a pure conscience before God because of these things. All of these heresies, all of these heretics, they'd be run out of town on a rail. There's no way a true believer would sit and listen to some of the drip and the dribble and the, well, boulder dash that comes out of some of these alleged preachers' mouths. It's a stunning thing if every deacon was like this, a pure conscience. Paul is saying, as I said earlier, that by the power of the Holy Ghost, his hands are clean. There was not a scintilla of blood guiltiness that came and reposed or rested upon his conscience. What a glorious thing for a preacher for a man of God who's been called to teach and preach the word of God, and deacons who have been called for their roles to be able to say, I have been that faithful. This is the kind of thing, brethren, that God has put in place to protect his church. And this is what we must consider as we read on. Now look what, what Paul then says. Look at Acts chapter 20. Look at verse number 28. He instructs the elders to first... Take heed unto themselves. And brethren, that is so important. Why do you suppose that Paul here, as we look at verse 28, why would he first instruct the elders? Look what he says there at verse 28. Let's read that together. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Why, brethren, would Paul, after saying what he just said, why would he then instruct the elders to first take, uh, if you would, heed unto yourselves? Well, because Paul, in his glorious love for them, listen, brethren, let me just, I put a bunch of words together, because we even saw this this morning in Bible study, we talk about it all the time, we get accused all the time of, you know, oh, you're worried about every, every false doctrine that comes in the church, yes, I am, I am worried about every false doctrine that comes in the church, because Paul was worried about every false doctrine, Peter was worried about every false doctrine, the preachers were worried about that, you know why? Listen. He addresses them. He reminds the elder of their unceasing. <laughs> I just put a bunch of words down here that mean never stop. Unending, uninterrupted, perpetual, around-the-clock duties. This is what he's laying out for the elders here. This is something, brethren, that never ends. It's a stunning thing. You know why? Because of the unceasing, the unending, the uninterrupted, the perpetual danger they face in verse 29. He's calling the elders up to their duties. This is something that never stops. It never ceases. And even this morning in church history, I mean, brothers, in the 300s, 
the 200s, into the 1500s, into the 1600s, into the 1700s, into the 1800s. Can I go on? Into the 1900s, into the 2000s, and on and beyond, brethren. This is a problem that never stops. You do realize it all started back in Genesis. Remember that? Back there in Genesis? The four words that changed all of men's history, all of time. Yea, hath God said... This is something that has gone on and will continue to go on. It's an amazing thing even today, brother, this battle that rages on and on. He tells them to take heed on themselves. That literally means to look narrowly, to watch carefully, brother, over your own spiritual well-being. It has to start with the leaders, brother, and it has to start with those who are up front leading and teaching and preaching the word of God. You know why? If we had time, we could go to Jeremiah chapter 6. Chapter 7, chapter 14. What did he say there? (laughs) Well, all of the religious leaders, the priests, the prophets, and the preachers all turned away from God. And you know what followed that? The families, the mothers, the fathers, and the children all fell away, all turned away from God and worshipped the Queen of Heaven, as we know that Jeremiah there. There's a pattern there. When the leaders are sound, the families come. And the families that are, what, catechized in the word of God, they then should be sound when they leave. That is a stunning responsibility that we have. This is what Paul is saying. You have this amazing responsibility, but you must watch over first yourself. I want you to see this, brethren. It's an amazing thing. Turn with me to 1 Timothy for just a moment. I want you to see this. We find in 1 Timothy... Seven thyselves. I call them seven thyselves. And the context here that we see, I want you to see this. The context, again, that we see here in 1 Timothy is, as I said earlier, he's addressing the elders. He's addressing the deacons. And then he says this, and I want you to see this again. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse number 15. I call this, and again, this is a sermon within itself. This would be, brethren, if, if I can envision it in my mind, this would be a sermon that we would preach to all the elders, to all the Bible teachers, to all who handle the word of God. Look at the first thyself. Look there, if you would, at verse number 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou ought to what? Behave thyself in the house of God. So in other words, he's addressing the elders, he's addressing the deacons, and then he says this, and by the way, just so you know as a leader in the church how you ought to behave yourself, which is the church, the pillar and ground of truth, and he goes on to explain that. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse number 7. Not only are we supposed to behave ourselves as elders and deacons and leaders in the church, look at the second one, look at verse number 7. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto what? Let's say it together. Godliness. This is something that an elder should be doing. He should be getting rid of the false doctrine. He should be getting rid of all the dribble, because that's what people like to talk about, right? I remember we had some people here for a while. Have you read the Gospel of Thomas? Have you read the Gospel of this? Have you read... Brother, no. Well, I have. But you don't consider it sound in, in you know, Scripture. But no, we should be exercising ourselves in the things that are holy and right and good. That's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. As a leader in the church, you should exercise yourself. Look at verse 15. Not only that, we're to exercise unto godliness. Look at verse number 15. Again, this is a sermon in and all of itself. Meditate upon those things. Give thyself wholly to them. Why? Why should the man who stands up and is teaching the word of God to the flock, to the sheep, why should he give himself wholly to them? Well, I'm, I'm certainly glad you asked. Because of verse 16. Look at verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt save thyself and them that what? Hear thee. Now, that word there does not mean the elder is going to save you. It means the elder will protect you. That's exactly what that word means. So Paul is calling the leaders of the church to do these things, to watch over yourself, to take care of yourself, because what we do, brethren, is we teach the word of God, and we preach the word of God, and we are directing, if you will, the word of God. 
Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 22. Just a few of them here, and then we'll move on. But I thought this was really interesting. Look at verse number 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself what? Pure. There it is again. So we're supposed to do these things. There's positive direction. There's negative directions. He says again, we're supposed to keep ourselves pure. That's what the leaders and elders of the church are to be doing. These are the kinds of men that they are to be. Keep thyself pure. Well, look at verse 70, chapter 6, since we're right there. Look at verse number 3. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, there it is again, the word, the doctrine, those things that are holy and good. Look at what Paul tells Timothy to do. This is what every sound preacher, this is what every sound elder, anybody who handles the word of God should do, because this is a command of Paul, of God. Look here, if you will. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Wherefore cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Look at verse. Perverse disputings of men, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. So in other words, there we have another negative, don't we? Do this, do this, be pure, be holy. But when it comes to these things, an elder, a leader, and brethren, I say a Christian should be doing these things. These are the things that Paul, that the Word of God has called us to. And finally, one of the qualifications of being an elder is one who is apt to teach, one who can stand up and teach the Word of God. In fact, look at the eighth one here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to all of us. But again, I want you to see Howard and Dean and and uh, where's Mark? And, oh, there's Brother Keith right there. Deacons, elders in the church. These are the things. And Christians, yes, you too. But especially those of us who lead. Those of us who teach the word of God. Look at verse 15. Study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word, amen, of truth. So, brethren, there's a lot there, isn't there? Just, just these little few verses that we see here. We see the great calling that God places on the elder, the deacons, the leaders of the church. All of these thyselves. It's quite an amazing thing. Paul gives the elders at Ephesus a solemn charge. He says, first take heed unto yourself, whom Paul says... So that you are, if you will, uh, to abandon yourself wholly to the will of God. This is really what he is saying. When he says that, he's just saying, you need to be abandoned wholly to the things of God. Completely sold out for Christ. Why? Well, so that, brethren, as I've said, they are spiritually fit and sound to feed the church of God, whom Paul says was purchased with his own blood. Do you see the importance here, brother? Do you see when a man stands up to teach the word of God, how the central, it's all the central, it's the focus of it all, because it is indeed the power of the word of God that changes men as you're sitting here this morning. Not me and not my many words, but the words of scripture. With that phrase, purchased with his own blood, it reveals the redemptive value, brother, of Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection. Literally, Literally, in the Greek, it says, the blood of his fathers, which means the father. Not Because some of the translations here, amen, will say that, that God shed his blood, and actually it was Christ. This is literally the Greek language that you have to understand. It literally means the blood of his own one, the father's son. That's literally what it means. So we see that there again. He's giving to them the value, the eternal value, the great value with what the church was bought with, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of God is indeed his holy tabernacle, brother. It is indeed, if you will, and is populated with his holy people who have, most, who have a most holy faith and guided by his holy word and sealed with his holy ghost. You see, brother, in the importance. This is why Paul continues over and over and over again, to speak of these things and to warn of these things. Now look what Paul says to them. And this is really, again, important back in Acts chapter 20. I want you to see this. This, again, is why, if you will, I don't think we're hyperventilating about these things. 
at all. Again, I think it's something important that an elder should always be aware of, should always be concerned with, should always be have the radars up, brethren, because I promise you it doesn't take much. A little leaven what? Leaveneth the whole lump. It doesn't take long for an aberrant doctrine to make its way and weave its way through the church, which can indeed cause much, much trouble. Look what Paul says there in 29, in verses 29 and 30 of Acts chapter 20. For I know this. How does Paul know that? Well, it was either revealed to him by the Spirit of God, but then he lives it out, because after he says this, it's just a little, a little few years after this, that this is actually lived out. It's a stunning thing, this grave warning that he's given to the church, to the elders. Look what he says, For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Wow! What an amazing, stunning warning that Paul gives to these elders, isn't it? As I said, it is here in verses 29 and 30 that Paul warns them of the unceasing, the unending, the uninterrupted, the perpetual danger that he knows is coming. Just like we know it's coming. I used to tell Dean and Howard all the time, things are going too smoothly. Something is going to happen. And you know what? It always does. It always happens. Paul says, I know this is going to happen. I'm going to warn you ahead of time that this is going to happen. Now, he refers to the church of God as a flock of sheep, to the elders as shepherds, amen. Here, as he's carried along by the Holy Ghost, Paul uses wolves. And not just wolves, but he says what? Grievous wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Now, brethren, that is a stunning thing to delineate the seriousness of the dangers that Paul is talking about. That word grievous means savage. It means hurtful. It means destructive. It means to cause mischief. Amen? Like I said, I tell Dean and Howard, it's going too smoothly. There's going to be mischief. Something's going to happen. Paul is warning them here of this very thing. In fact, these grievous wolves will not hold back. He says they will not spare the flock. Do you want to see why the shepherd needs to stand at the front door and beat the old wolves off? Because the old wolves will not spare you. They will not. That's why this is such a stunning thing. Paul says they will come in from the outside and arise even from the inside, amongst your own selves. And we've seen it, haven't we, brother? We've seen it. We've experienced it. We've watched it. Think of the relevancy of our text. Think of how amazing it is that Paul will warn them as he warns us even today as leaders in the church. He also says they're going to speak perverse things. <laughs> oh, boy. That, I mean, you could delve into some deep stuff here. That word perverse, listen, brethren, carefully what it means. It means to purposefully misinterpret. It means to twist. It means to distort. This is what they do. They come from within, they come from without, and then they purposefully misinterpret Scripture to what? To then draw people after themselves. This is what they're after. They're not interested in serving the Lord. They're not interested in serving the Lord, being subservient to Him, being under His authority, under His lordship, His headship, His rulership. They want their own rulership. They want their own headship. And they will draw men, they will speak perversely concerning the Word of God. In fact, as I said, Paul says, I know this is going to happen. And it isn't very long. And look what he sees. Look with me in your Bible. Just look at a couple of examples. Before Paul is even in the grave, look what he sees. He warns them. He says, this is how quickly this... Church history, brother, and if you're not coming to Bible study, I would please encourage you. It's such an encouragement to the believer to understand and see. This stuff has been going on. It's been going on from day one, and it goes on even now. But look what Paul saw. Can you imagine he's speaking to the elders at Ephesus? You guys remember, right? Ephesus is one of the churches that Jesus mentions in the book of Revelation, right? Do you remember what he condemned them for? Do you remember what he says? You have forsaken what? You've forsaken your first love. I mean, it was going and it was taking place while Paul was still there watching and warning. Look here, if you would, 
at 1 Timothy, just a couple of examples. Again, Paul, as he's led by the Spirit of God, tells them, this is what's going to happen. This for surely will take place. These are the things we must be ever vigilant against these ravenous, crazy, grievous wolves who will not spare you. They don't care about your soul. They don't care about your well-being one whit. They are, as Jesus called them, hirelings. That's what, a, that's what a false pastor is, is a hireling. All they care about is their own well-being. All they care about is their money. All they, well, actually, they care about you giving uh, them your money. That's what they care about. Not here. Paul's giving us instruction concerning what a true, biblical, truly called man of God is. His characteristics, his, his mindset, how he thinks. Look here at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at what Paul already saw. This charge I uh, commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went out before on thee, that thou, that, uh, thou by them mightest war a good warfare. There he is talking about war right away. Holding faith in a good conscience. There it is again. I mean, this is amazing that the pastor should have a good conscience about being faithful with the things of God. Uh, I was going to use an example, but I better keep it to myself. Look at what it says. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some have, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Of whom? Look what Paul does. He names them right out. Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they might learn not to blaspheme. Paul already knows what's coming. He sees it. He's warning them. He's warning us. Over and over and over, he does it. In fact, look at 2 Timothy. He mentions some more names. Isn't that nice? People get, you shouldn't mention people's names. You shouldn't say Charles Stanley. You shouldn't say this and this and that and this and that. You shouldn't name the names. Yeah, we should. You know why, brethren? Because it's important that you know who these men are. You got to know. We had some ladies in our church not too long ago wheeling on in here with one of these New Age books. They had it openly in their hands. Remember, honey? They had it openly in their hands, and there it was. And, well, we're looking at it going, you shouldn't read that. It's not good for you. How come I can't think of the name of it? It's gone. Honey, do you remember? It was a woman. Oh, it's completely gone. Oh, Howard knows her. Oh, it's gone. Sorry, guys. That happens when you get to be my age. But the point is this, that the sheep unwittingly brought in a book, and I might think of her name, brought in a book, and they thought it was perfectly fine until the elders went, wait a minute, you, you can't read that. Do you understand what's in that? Why I can't think of her name? I'll, I'll, if I think of it, I'll warn you of her, just in case you have it at home in your book. But this is why the elders have such, a, such an amazing task. Because the sheep can, and sometimes do, weave into things that they don't know are dangerous to their souls. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 13 there, if you would. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, all they that which are in Asia have turned away from me, of whom are Phagellius and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy. He goes on there. Again, there he's naming names. They've turned away from him. They've turned away from the truth, and they are indeed infecting the church. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 16 through 18. Look there, if you would. But shun fable and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom Hymenius and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred, saying, listen, brethren, they erred. They turned away from the fundamental, the, the orthodox truth. Look what it says there. The Bible says they've, they've turned away concerning what? The resurrection. I mean, brothers and sisters, is there hardly a doctrine? They're all important. They all tie together. But is there one more important than the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? His death, his burial, his resurrection. They're saying that this thing's already happened. It's an amazing thing, brother, and when you consider how they've turned away. And it says there, saying that the resurrection's passed already and overthrow the faith of some. Again, this is Paul warning 
Timothy. In chapter 2, verses 4, uh, chapter 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 14 and 15, he names Alexander. He names him right out and says, Beware of this man, beware of him, stay away from him, for he is a danger to the church and to the faith. In fact, we remember, don't we, brethren, that the Lord Jesus described false prophets and false teachers as wolves in what? Sheep's clothing. Think of this for a moment, brethren. Think of what that description is. They look, <laughs> they look like one thing, but they are another. It's a stunning thing. What else did he say? He told his disciples that, he would be, that they would be like sheep among the wolves. Paul is simply here continuing that teaching, warning the elders. And brethren, as we say and as I've said, the battle is, is waging on and on. It will not cease until Christ comes again. For these devils to thwart the word of God, to twist the word of God, to distort the word of God, to lead men after themselves. Now look what Paul does there, Acts chapter 20. Look there if you would. Look at verses 31 and 32. And uh, as, we, uh, as we read these words, and again, you, when you study the Bible and sometimes you have time to sit and you read the words and you actually have time to ponder what God is saying. It really brings to the forefront, again, the importance of the word of God in my own life and in yours. It really is a stunning thing when you consider this. Look what Paul says. Well, verse 31, again, we've seen that. There's that word, therefore, again. Hey, because these grievous, ravenous wolves are going to come in, they're going to twist the word of God. Listen to what he says. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you. What does Paul commend the brothers to? To his thoughts, to his imagination, to things outside of the scripture. Oh, nothing could be further from the truth, brethren. Nothing could be further from the truth. I commend you to what? To God. And to the word of his grace. Paul, because he loved them, because I know this is going to happen, I'm going to commend you not to my thoughts, not to your imagination, nothing, but to the word of God and to his grace. It's a stunning thing. These very real and present dangers. He does continue here for just a moment in his pastoral care for the church. And he's telling the elders, as I have done these five things here in verse 30, so you too as elders should do as well. Well, we've seen him, didn't we? I read him. There's three years. He was there three years. That's a long-term care that he had for them. He says, I cease not. It's a continuing, nonstop, unceasing care that Paul had for them. He says that I warned them, I've warned you. That's a, brethren, if you will, a very watchful care over them. He says, I not only warned you, but I warned everyone. That is a, if you will, a collective care. Hey, the liberals like collective. There's a collective care for you. Paul warned everyone of what was going to happen. In fact, with tears, as we've looked at, it was a compassionate care. Paul, again, is saying to the elders, as I have lived amongst you, as I have shown you how an elder, a pastor should, should be, so too you have the same care that I had. And he says, and I commend him to the word of his grace, Paul placed the elders in the hands of God. That's what he did. And to the word of God, and really that literally means for their safekeeping and protection. That's why we as elders here at the church preach the word of God. We preach it because we want to commend you all. And you think about that as you pray for your children, you pray for the ones that are lost, you pray for your family, you pray for those who are even in the faith and sound in the faith. I've really started, and I, it's not a repetitive prayer, but this thing is stuck in my head. I commend my children, I commend my wife, I commend the church because it's God's in the first place. I commend the sheep to God and to the word of his grace. That is safekeeping, brethren. That is the safest place any of us could be. Amen? Commending you to God and to the word of his grace. 
What an amazing place to be, to be there in all of the care that God alone can give one. He knows your heart more than I do or Dean does or Howard does. He commended them for their safekeeping and protection. The hounds of hell, brethren, are lurking. You understand this. For the souls of men and women and for your children. Yes, they are. It's a stunning thing. And what a, again, as I said, what a more of a safer place and safekeeping could there be than to be commended to God and to the word of his grace. And finally, brethren, as we bring our text to a close, look there, if you would, 33, 34, 35, and 36. Look what Paul says there. He's commended them to the word of his grace. That is where his protection is. It builds you up. It gives you that inheritance that... Uh, that is spoken of. And he says this, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them, all. Paul's parting words. I don't know if you noticed again the outward direction of that text. Paul is telling the elders again as he closes with them, as he prays with them, as he quotes, right? He quotes something that we don't find anywhere in any of the Gospels. He's quoting it from outside the Gospels somewhere. Some think it was the book of Clement. Um, I couldn't find that. I studied, I looked, I couldn't find it. But he is quoting something that Jesus said that's outside of the Gospels. And you know what he says? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so what, again, Paul is issuing to the, to the elders is that your ministry should be a continual thing of giving, that you should be giving of yourself to the flock, to the sheep, because of the danger that they are in. Again, the minister of God the elder of God, one even a deacon of God. This should be one's character. This should be one that the Holy Spirit gives into you that you should give more than you take. And those of us who've been doing it a while know how difficult that is sometimes to just keep giving and giving and giving. But this is what Paul is saying to them. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's an amazing thing. It is an attribute that all shepherds should show forth. Jesus also said these words. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely what? Give. You see the idea here? As we've looked here over the past couple of weeks, again, that's why when one is called to be an elder of a church, it isn't just something, a position of power, it's, it's not that, although some men do go after it because they want power. That is an unholy thing to be going after a leadership position in the church. You're called by God, and then the Holy Spirit works within the man. And as I said, when you think about yourself, your own, uh, if you will, flesh that you deal with, I don't think anyone would sit here and say we're not selfish. Well, maybe. But that's, brethren, a natural thing. What Paul is, is delineating to the elders is spiritual thing. It is something that the Spirit of God has to give the leaders, the men of the church that he calls, because it is truly a work of God. The elders' service and generosity should be abundant as they feed God's people with the word, exhorting them in doctrine, as they guard the Lord's flock. Amen? Again, just an important thing that one does against the false doctrine and these grievous wolves who would want to come in and lead them astray. Now, brethren, one of the things as I close, one of the things that we've learned over the last couple of weeks, if I could maybe just surmise it, at least give it a, a, a summation. There are indeed numerous parachurch ministries out there today. And again, what is, what is this teaching us? What is this telling us? But any group that doesn't operate under the umbrella of a local church, regardless of their influence, is indeed, and then they do not promote the local church, brother, is not by any stretch operating under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Some parachurch organizations do good things, 
But that's not what God uses. If you're in a parachurch organization, you have to be under the authority of the local church. God uses the local church. That's what he does. He has ordained that the flock of God, the sheep of God, gather together to be protected from the grievous wolves who would, by cunning deceit, lead them astray. The local church, brethren, is important, is the apple of God's eye. The Lord Jesus Christ, who died for the church, for the local church, this is where our protection is. This is where our safekeeping is. This is how God designed it to work. Amen? This is where we need to be. That's why you'd like to sometimes pick up the phone, you know, like my old IFB pastor buddies do. Hey, where you at? Why aren't you here? That's going overboard, okay? Because they don't have, brethren, listen, that's not the godly attitude to have. You're not here because our numbers are down. That's what many worry about. That's not what we worry about. You know what we worry about? We worry about your spiritual well-being. We worry about whether or not those ravenous wolves are getting a hold of you. Because if you're not gathering again with the local church, you are in deep trouble. We're sheep, as Spurgeon said, not lions, not bears. We are meant to be together. Amen? What a glorious thing that God would love us so much. He would care for us so much that he would delineate these glorious truths through his word. You know, the, the question is, are we going to be submissive to that word? <laughs> that, that's the question, right? Amen. We live in America today where we do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we, if we feel like doing it. And yet we, again, we see God. Can, can I use this? I, I don't want to, I, but I love driving the liberals crazy. This is God's best for you. Okay? It's not Joel Osteen's best life now. This is what's best for you. Because God said that that is what's best for you. Not because Pastor Mike, uh, well, it's always enjoyable when there's more people, but that's not why we're concerned for you. We're concerned for your well-being, for your spiritual state of condition. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice with you this morning in the clear... <laughs> teaching of your word. Oh, yes, it is very clear. Father, we thank you for those words that you have led Luke to record. And it's the only 